Hello and welcome to another Statsbomb podcast, uh, two this week, uh, with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. They're no longer going to believe our excuses about not having enough time to podcast, because we've like done it too often, too frequently in the summertime. <laughs> yeah, we are busy though, we have got lots to do, but, you know, we we thought we'd get, get out there and do something. Uh, what did we do last time? We talked transfers. We it was huge! We missed... It was like an hour and 20 some odd minutes of transfers. If you... If you don't think this is long enough, go back to that one. I'll tell you where we should go next, and that's well, we should, we we can we're going to talk about the league and prospects. What do we think? What do we think about this this uh, Premier League going forward? And um, we, we used to do this sort of thing more often, like we <laughs> you know give like real predictions and break things down and you know, tell people what was going to happen in the course of the Premier League season because we were professionals, and now we're professionals, but we don't really gamble. So yeah, I don't know. No, I don't. Barely at all now. Occasional <laughs> recreational fun, but uh, yeah, no. Um, so we didn't quite get to we didn't get to Man City in the last podcast because we it went on and on and on. And, um, seems like a good place to start. Let's just finish off that podcast. Riyad Mahrez luxury signing. Can't see anything wrong with that. That's fine. Anyway, <laughs> at the top of the league, Man City, massive favourites to win this, um, True. which is understandable. But 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 but. It's a great thing that we didn't record this uh, at that time because there's a big old injury. Yeah, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin, however you like to say. He's their best player, I think. Um, Ginger Freak. And they've lost him for, what, two, three months? Uh, a, a while. Uh, and, and so like the interesting thing about this transfer window is we know that they were concerned about depth at midfield, uh, especially in like the Fernandinho role. So, like, they basically have Fernandinho, and they have the always reliable, never, ever injured uh, Gundogan. And uh, <laughs> and that's pretty much it in, in the defensive midfield. Now, they have some kids, but, like, the kids are not going to be the level that they look for. They also have Delph. So, like, it's not, you know, it's not a zeroed-out type thing. But, you know, City are going to be busy, like, hugely busy schedule. They, you know, they're expected to go deep into pretty much all the competitions. And they've started off with, you know, probably their best midfielder from last year getting injured. And there's a little bit of fragility there. And we know also that they tried to bring in one of their actual kids, um, uh, Douglas Louise, was it? Like one of the Brazilians, um, but they couldn't get him a work permit. So, like, they know that this is an issue, too. They tried to bring him in. The, the, the FA, I think, like, didn't allow him into the country. So, yeah, they're imperfect. It's interesting what they'll do because, you know, the first game they kind of played Two. They spent all last season playing three, didn't they? So David Silva, um, Fernandinho, and De, De Bruyne as the across like their midfield, and you know that worked really well for them. A lot of minutes in those legs, older legs for the two of them as well. And then obviously the other guy's injured. Um, he might have to tinker with his formation. I think uh, maybe he did in the first game. Played Bernardo Silva slightly ahead, and I tweeted about this and. Got, Man City fans jumping in my mentions telling me that that was always the plan for Bernardo Silva. Like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, these people are like really clear on what Pep's plan is. I, I, yeah. I from the outside, am often confused and find it very difficult to read. But the fans know. Yeah, no, they do. And um, this is <laughs> this is quite possibly, you know, the next issue. They're going to have to somehow. Uh, the thing is, they ride this out no problem really. That you know, schedule is something that counts counts for a bit, and they've got nothing till oh, I think they play Liverpool week six. Um, hey, they and, played the mighty Arsenal last week. Yeah, <laughs> we can get to them. <laughs> but but yeah, that's 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 the thing. They've they've got their first potential uh, banana skin uh, out of the way with ease, and now now they go on. Um, the thing is, they're big favourites for the league, and justifiably so after absolutely crushing it last season. Um, Centurions. The, the De Bruyne thing is interesting because just, I, mean, I was I had a look at the markets afterwards, and it just inched. Let's you know, Man City is still heavy odds on favourites for the title. Liverpool were kind of like no, 4.0 or something, but they'd come from like well, maybe 4.3. They'd come from like 5.0 on the De Bruyne news, just to you know people getting excited and thinking that's going to make a big deal, and it makes some some difference. But still, we think City will win the title. Everyone thinks City will win the title, um, but they're not untouchable. No, yeah, there's a there's a puncher's chance involved in this, especially given the you know one area that's thin 
But, you know, they have, like, literally the genius as their coach. And, yeah, I don't care what anybody says. Pep Guardiola is the world's greatest football coach. And it's not actually close. And so, you know, he is not always going to win. And we saw this in his first year at City. But there's a lot of talent there. And, you know, given that their fullback situation is improved, again, like, Mendy's healthy. Uh, there's a lot of good kids there. Sterling may, may be a world beater. So, yeah, I mean, there are there are very good reasons for City being at the top of this list. Um, how about the next team? Who's finishing second? Well, the world thinks Liverpool. And I, I think that's a that's a pretty fair analysis just based on perceived quality and upgrades, which we talked about. Um, well, numbers, right? Like, so yeah. if, if we do this based off of, you know, you weight last season significantly and you weight, you know, not the table last season, but the expected goals numbers, etc., like, there's a reason why Liverpool look like the second best team. And not only do they look like that, but they fucking upgraded this summer pretty seriously. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, absolutely in key positions. You know, central midfield. You looked at their midfield before and you thought, Malvin, maybe it could do a little bit of work. They bought Naby Keita. Um <laughs> Top 10 midfielder in the world got him for £50 million by spending it a year early. <laughs> yeah, and then goalkeeper, which has just been... They should have solved this two years ago, uh, but kind of bought Carrius and uh, took a mm, medium-term look at that, but didn't really kind of go hard at it. Um, and yeah, and it felt like they, it felt like as when Van Dijk came in the second half of the season, the defence kind of sharpened up a little bit. What they yeah. need is to get. A, a, I think I looked at this. If you look at this, the first half of 2016-17 and the back half of 2017-18, if you glue them together, you have one hell of a Liverpool season. It's what, everything <laughs> that happened in between that was uh, that wasn't so good when they were conceding goals for uh, for fun and their keeper was barely making a save. If they can just get that together. Then yeah, certainly their, their numbers imply that they will be a team that that can contend, you know, up into the eighty points, eighty plus points, which normally, normally gets you a shot at a title. True. But do you feel with City around, they, someone's probably going to have to get to ninety odd points if they're if they're going to contend, and that that ain't easy. That doesn't happen too often, I don't think. Well, I think the difficulty for Liverpool is probably more so than the difficulty for um, for City in that, like, you're concerned about their depth. And, you know, Liverpool have done a very good job in making signings and have added to that depth. Like, their midfield is actually quite good and, and fairly deep. Uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain going down, like, re- restricts them a bit. Lallana's 30 now. Um, you know, we're not sure, like, how good he actually is. But you know they've they've kind of maintained their their attacking group. Um, the the question is up front. Like if Firmino isn't there, you've got Sturridge who scored tons of goals in in preseason, and Solanke who's only 20. Um, you know what happens if if they lose some of the depth? What happens if they lose Salah? Well, they've got Shakiri. Shakiri's not Salah, but he's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's an open question, but I think that justifiably people look at them and say, hey, we think they're really good and yeah, they don't have the, quite the same depth as City, but they have the firepower. Yeah, they are going to. They're going to absolutely run over a bunch of teams, as we saw at the weekend with West. Well, Ham. we talked about this last summer. Like when when they signed Salah, you and I both said that attack is going to terrorize people. They are just mm-hmm. going to demolish teams on the run because they're so fast. And now they have a faster midfield as well. So like they become possibly the most difficult team to play period for like the first time in the season because you don't know how fast they are and they are faster than city 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 will wear you down and they'll pick you apart and that's kind of how they do it that is not how liverpool do it like this is rock and roll football this is back to dortmund is gonna gonna just punish you for every single mistake uh except for it's with jürgen klopp at liverpool and they're hella fun to watch like i'm looking forward to this season i'm not technically a Liverpool fan but I, I have nothing but respect for like the things that they've done to build this squad <laughs> yeah exactly I mean the, the, yeah they've brought a load of players that anyone who's spent any time around the numbers would happily sign off on and um, yeah you kind of root for that as well obviously Naby been your boy for a long time you're going to be rooting for, rooting for him to do well and yeah it's just nice I personally always always happy when uh, stellar talents arrive in the league uh, still waiting for see. my kits out there uh Elston and NG, like you know, I'm supposed to have a, a, a nabby kit for myself and then some for the kids, you know. Yeah, put a little request there. Anyway. <laughs> well, it's a 
Twitter things that we're bringing up from locked accounts, mind you. But uh, I'm calling them out here. Like you, you make you make the deal. You make the deal. Um, so yeah, Liverpool great to watch. Uh, you know, Klopp is always interesting, and they're at a high. So enjoy yourselves. Right. So beyond that point, like who's the third? Who's the third best team now? If we just look at metrics from last season, Tottenham mm-hmm. are the third best team, and that's and they're not actually that far behind Liverpool, and profile quite similarly. Um, obviously, there's the big shadow of like <laughs> they are homeless, <laughs> which may or may not have any impact. I I think that's a minor shadow. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a big shadow though. Lack of signings or the, the decline of Kane? Which one? It's, which one do you want to go for? It's it's the second one. Oh, right? really? <laughs> you go from having the best center forward in the league to having a guy who, after his injury, performed at half that rate, mm. and he doesn't look like he's sharpened up over the summer because he didn't have the summer off. But to be fair, Spurs broke him. It wasn't England that broke him. Spurs are the ones that, that continue to play him. He doesn't look like he's recovered off of that injury to anywhere close to where he was, and. The question then becomes like, how can, how well will Spurs do with a half fit Harry Kane or even just like a half rate, like a slightly above average Harry Kane versus the rest of the the forwards in the league? <sighs> I'm sorry, James. You know, I, I got to ask the hard questions here. <laughs> yeah, I kind of think they'll be fine, but, and I'm still not convinced that this Harry Kane thing is is legit. Yeah. Like come back to me in a month if he's if we're a month month in and he's still like taking two and a half shots a game or whatever it kind of went down to, then I'll start to concur that there there may be issues uh, well, I, around. We him. can ask it's a it's a probabilistic question like that's that's what you do at the beginning of the season and that, and that's what sort of makes me concerned and given what I've seen so far uh, across this entire period of time, including the world cup where he did score a bucket load of goals, but you know, some of those are penalties. One's a lucky deflection. You know, they, they, if you had to look at it, you'd say that was actually like a really lucky golden boot. Um, and, and in fact, no one felt like he deserved it. They're just like, well, other people just didn't score as many goals. Um, You've <laughs> except for, yourself actually, out of that, Ted. So he clearly to, did deserve it. To be fair, <laughs> Harry Kane felt he deserved it. He also <laughs> felt deserved that goals he didn't score he was gutted he was gutted he didn't he didn't he didn't want to win the gold but he wanted to win the world cup right attitude ted this is the attitude of a man who can who can combat injury and get fit i don't know yeah that's it is a shadow at the moment are you saying that he's brave and passionate he's very brave and he's very passionate and that's got a lot of heart that's why he hasn't missed that's why he comes back from injuries after about Two weeks rather than six Possibly weeks. should have been less passionate about getting back on the pitch there. Maybe let that ankle heal a little better. It genuinely is an issue with him because uh, he's he's yeah he seems he seems to have the power to get on the pitch. I'm gonna not say Tottenham for third because I am concerned about this enough that I would downgrade them a bit. Now the question is where you downgrade them to, and they could have helped themselves in the transfer window. <laughs> I think. I don't think they were barred from signing anybody in some sort of weird, you know, sign too many underage kids from Japan that you shouldn't have, have done so, like the Spanish clubs. Like, I think Tottenham weren't banned from signing anybody this you, window. You try building a stadium, Ted. When do you get time to sign players? I mean, you know, it's just... <laughs> you know, that that actually... So I, I thought about that. <clears throat> you know, I think you, you and I have had, like, hive mind on a couple of things, but not, not talked about it, and then you tweeted uh, the things there. Like... Maybe Daniel Levy was just like literally so busy with the stadium stuff and overruns that you know they didn't have time to focus on this other bit, which you know doesn't really matter because Spurs were really good last year and they've got players that are still maturing and and whatever. I don't know. Well, this is I mean the genuine genuine issue around around the club. You know, since Baldini left, like there isn't a guy doing Baldini's job. So unless you can't Levy doing it, I guess. Well, and, and not only that, but like there was a there was a series of hires there. So there was Baldini, and then there was um, Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And then Rob McKenzie was also there, mm-hmm. and then those guys all poofed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and they poofed at the same time. So, yeah, like I mean, I guess they've they've hired some people, but there's very little transparency to what happens at Spurs anyway. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, no. Having seen like the Arsene Wenger era at, at and and know some stuff from behind the scenes there, you know, one guy really can hold up all of this. And if Levy's focus was elsewhere, then, you know, it is kind of a big deal. I mean, I don't think anyone would actively choose not to make signings or to turn over some squad elements. Like, it is a normal thing. So unless you felt you were perfect, and City, even City didn't feel they were perfect after last season, then, you know, maybe, you know, it's just weird. 
at all. Yeah, it's but it's a fair comment. Like you know, you've only shown me hours in a day. Maybe you know you're not building stadium. You spend all day looking for transfers and working that out. If you're spending half your day, three quarters of your day doing stadium stuff, transfers kind of fall down the pecking order a little bit. And if Pochettino was just like, well, I'll make do. I'll be fine. Then here we are. Anyway, so I still think Tottenham are good for top four, mainly because of um, gaps in other teams. Um, I don't have them third. Uh, that's my thing. I don't have All right, them third. then. All right, then. Who do you have third, Ted? Now, this is this is tricky, <laughs> but I think Chelsea come back to third. I do, actually. I think uh, I've... Uh, that squad is really good. It's quite deep. It's got... All over the pitch, they've got, they've got players. Um, they've got a lot to choose from. I've written something to the ringer, actually, this week that's probably going to go out today. And it meant I looked at Chelsea, and it was like, right... Somehow they've bought like ten players in the last three windows for over fifteen million pounds. They, you know, at one point depth was an issue. It's not an issue now. Yeah. <laughs> like the starting eleven is a bit of an issue. The the fullbacks are a bit of an issue. But you know, we're looking at at total talent on there and good coaching talent as well. Like Sari has has proven his ability in in that way. Um, you know, there's there is firepower. You know, people are like who's going to score the goals? Well, I mean, they score goals and. Now, <laughs> and Golo Conte scored goals now, so <laughs> you know they they may get goals from all sorts of places that you don't necessarily expect in the past. But there is a lot of talent on there. Um, we did have a piece this week on on their new goalkeeper recruit, and I think there's a good time to kind of delve into this in in a lot of ways. So we're going to tangent a bit. You know, we did this huge transfer podcast, we talked about all sorts of stuff back there. Feel free to go back to to listen on all the transfer stuff. But like goalkeeper analytics is is, is a new frontier. And, and you and I, who've been close to the data for, for a good long time, like how did you feel about goalkeeper analytics you know, six months ago? Well, yeah, it's still tough. I mean, people have people have kind of got to a point where, uh, you know, try not to use XG, use like <laughs> XG2 or whatever you like to call it, uh, post-shot kind of models to, to get a start. But then it kind of dried up a little bit, didn't, didn't it, really? There wasn't really people didn't really evaluate things that much further than that and I mean yeah that's why what we've tried to do with it with our data scientist Derek and so we've un- unveiled a host of stuff uh, some of it is packed into the analysis on the site to, uh, came up yesterday for for Kepa Arizabalaga the Very long good. name maybe yeah uh, <laughs> maybe um, and some of it is like vaguely traditional but an awful lot of it is is new stuff, and uh, new stuff that is only possible because of the data that that we've added, which includes like goalkeeper locations on shots. Um, so is, there are people. W- the The article concludes effectively that he's average, um, but he's average with a 71 million pound price tag, which is not where you want to be. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't think there's any real question that this was kind of a a panic buy. Um, but like the other question is like why do you think he's average and what is he average at and so you know it's not just about the shot stopping you're you're trying to profile the overall strengths and weaknesses of this guy um, you know, Derek you know, to be fair to Chelsea they've been good at finding keepers for a long period of time they've had a number of quite good keepers uh, how good you think Courtois actually is is slightly divisive which is intriguing. Uh, yeah, he's great at Atletico Madrid, but most keepers are great at Atletico Madrid. Like most keepers, seem to be great at uh, at Burnley. So, you know, how much do you credit that? He was fine at Chelsea, did win a title, but you know, how good is he really? So, some people were saying that that they think that um, you know, Chelsea bought him at 23, so they think that he's going to develop. And he's got time and he's young. And the fact of the matter is, we don't know. We have no idea how goalkeepers develop and what the age curve looks like because we never had this data before, and I'm not going to assume that anybody else knows this either. Like there, there might, you know, Liverpool might know this. They've had tracking data for like three, four years. Arsenal might know this. They've had tracking data for a good long time. They probably had like the, the locational information as well. well. I don't think that evaluating goalkeepers via data is the be all and end all. I think that it does help an awful lot, like with center backs, to be able to profile them and find some of the guys that we think are pretty good and then to scout them on top of that. And if you find a guy that you think is like largely average and pay a big fee for him, yeah, there's there's probably an issue with that. So I think that's it, isn't it? I mean, like you know, judging from the work that uh, Derek's done on this, like Kepa wouldn't probably make a short list of like keepers that you then go and um, 
then go and scout. I mean, he might, but like you know, there's the, you just expect to see something, something in in amongst the data that makes you say like, yeah, right, like that guy because of this reason. And he just couldn't find anything. <laughs> and he did. He, yeah, last time he looked Sam, hard. Sam Gregory asked me about passing model information and kind of the the older style passing model that we had. And I have a lot of uncomfortable uncomfortable thoughts about goalkeepers and passing models um, because if you don't have pressure information inside of it, you have no real idea as to whether they're passing into pressure or making easy passes, right? And especially for good teams, like that becomes complicated. Uh, it's it's hard is basically my answer. But you know, I think that with this package of information, we're we're making strides. And I also think that given the history that we've seen. Um, of our ability to kind of move the the football world forward, I think that this will start to change how teams evaluate goalkeepers over the coming years. And it might not be immediate, but you know, if you've got tracking data, you can evaluate them better internally. And then if you've got our data, then you can go out into the world and do it on you know 20 or 30 leagues and try and find those those unpolished gems that you can get for two million or 10 million, as opposed to paying 71. And and that's kind of the next step here. So we think Chelsea's really good. I think they finished third. Uh, less sold on their goalkeeper, but even if he's average, there's still a lot of really good talent in that squad. I mean, I I I came into this podcast thinking like, let's. I'm not just going to think of this league as last year's XG table. I'm going to try and be creative because we've seen a lot of predictions about plays, and a lot of them look like last year's XG table. That's fine. It's there's there's value in that. There's a lot of value in that. But I it's not impossible to me that Chelsea and Liverpool and Man City end up closer together than the kind of general consensus. I mean, we've seen surprises in this league. God damn, we've seen surprises. But, you know, Chelsea's absolute, uh, like, best could be really very good. And if, you know, they've got they've got the talent, they're going to they're gonna be an entertaining attacking team now. I think they've got four of the big six, um, sorry, four of the five main rivals all at home in the first half of the season. So you know they've only I think they only travelled to Tottenham <laughs> if Tottenham have even gone. Like that. <laughs> um, so you know there's little things like that that are just set up that make you think that like Chelsea could have like a really solid run at this you know at the start of the season and it, it was only really I think was it mid to late season last year that kind of mid season they kind of wobbled and went a bit off off kilter I mean they had problems all year but you know absolute best best case scenario Chelsea in this this league this year. It could be pretty good, so you know we'll, we'll see. We'll see exactly. Any, anyway, so uh, how how can we be defining a top four and completely abandoning last year's second place team, Man United? Well, that's where XG comes into play, doesn't it? Oh <laughs> well, yeah, because... that, that, that's where you're like the numbers are seriously down on Manchester United and even on our data they're pretty seriously down uh David De Gea again in the first weekend you know he's uh he's a miracle worker outside of Spain um what do you think well oh and and Mourinho year three which is always catastrophic now (laughs) it's it's not even like a down year it's catastrophic every time that there's a year three you just you know there's too many weird noises coming out of the club really to, to to feel confident about how they progress. I mean, you know, if they if they just match their their general performances from last season, then it's very unlikely they're going to get 81 points again. You know, they're Correct. they're probably going to land up down on, you know, 70 points or something, which then puts them mm, fourth, fifth, and pressure and problems and, you know. If they didn't. They didn't resolve things in defence. I remember looking at their defence last year. It was one of those daft. You know, they were playing a Tottenham. I think it was. And it was like pick the pick pick a team out of these two squads. And it was like I don't want any of these United defenders. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want any of them. You know, I think Bale, I think Eric Bailly's quite good, but you know, it, it just feels like they still lack. Uh, you know, the the top class defenders that they had in their past and. I can see why Mourinho was quite adamantly still pursuing defenders and wanting to strengthen in that area of the pitch because, yeah, it still yeah it still feels like they're just not quite there. Yeah, you, you want to root against Mourinho and, and sort of like justify the fact that like he's a jerk, but like here he has a point and it's a it's a pretty valid point. Um, United, yeah, I, the, if your defense isn't great, 
then your midfield has to absorb all the blow. And United do have a good midfield. Uh, I don't know anything about Fred. That's why we didn't really profile him at all. No data on on Ukraine. Like even if we did have it, like adaptation to this league from Ukraine, like good luck. If you if you think that there's an exchange rate or you know what it is, like well, well, <laughs> it's a pretty small sample size. So yeah, good. <laughs> it's like William. That's it. <laughs> uh, no, it's not just William, right? Like well, you have Bernard now. Uh, you have Fernandinho. So you know there are guys that all can. All right, Brazilians out of Ukraine. We're good with that. There are a lot of good Brazilians that go to Shakhtar. There's a, there's a pipeline true. of them. Um, <clears throat> I hear the climate is very different. Other than that, I know nothing. Um, so, yeah, like the combination of numbers and uncertainty and defensive frailty and the fact that you know that there's already a war behind the scenes because basically Ed Woodward briefed the, the giant journalists that are connected to Man United about this summer and why these things happen. How on like, earth would a journalist know that a Man United executive had breakfast with a Real Madrid executive? Yeah. <laughs> that was the best bit of that to me. It was like, so the, I mean, this very is, detailed. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you, there are things, right? Like, there's things that journalists dig up on their own, and there are things that are called briefings. And <laughs> briefings are much more transparent than they've ever been before. Used to be like, oh, this person's so connected. They've got this information. And now you're like, these four people have exactly the same information. <laughs> Clearly, someone is telling. And Arsenal are really bad at briefing as well. Like it just happens regularly. Um, so yeah, the question is, where are United going to finish? And I think the answer that we're both coming to is, it ain't fourth. Yeah, it's and that's the thing. You know, Mourinho season three battling for fourth place. It's not. It's not what he's there for. You know, regardless of of whether he got his his transfers in and, and what have you. You know, the, that's. I mean, Van Hal can do that. <laughs> David Moyes can battle for you know fourth fifth. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not what they're there for. So and you know when you're a serial winner and you style yourself as Mourinho has, then you know you have to be competing at least uh, at least towards the top of the table. I mean I I empathise with his task there because you know no one's gonna <laughs> leaping past Manchester City with any team is not going to be easy, but. You know that's 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 what he's there to do, and he's he's probably going to struggle to do it, and probably drop back a little. This so when season. you think of like a, a sliding doors type moment, there was a, a period last year where they re-upped Mourinho for an extension, and I'm just like, why? Like, you know that things generally go south. You know that you know, you've been dealing with them so far. The performance isn't amazing. Sure, Pep's group is is awesome. So maybe you can't catch them, but like United have have a significant amount of money that they could spend towards you know rivaling all the talent buys and stuff like that um so two guys that they could have brought to to manchester to kind of replace Mourinho if they had wanted to to make a move or whatever one of them is sorry who's at chelsea and was you know fairly clearly available and potentially interested in a move time to move on from napoli and the other one is thomas tuchel who ended up at psg um and and the idea of, of like tuchel being able to take over that squad to add some defensive reinforcement and play exciting, exciting football, both of which happens with Sarri and, and Tuchel, would have made Manchester like the best place in the world to watch football, like by by millions of miles. I agree, and I think I tweeted this the other day, but like the, it struck me that I think United visit Chelsea on something like the ninth. I don't know, it's October ninth game of the season, and. Like that could literally just be like a moment where Man United's board look and realise they're the one, they're the last team of the top six that isn't trying to play fun football. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> Although to be fair, I'm I'm not I'm not sure about the sixth place team from last year. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think they're going to try and play fun football down at the Emirates? I'm not sure that they'll have a choice. <laughs> they might have to because, uh, given some of the injury situations and the fact that they are you know top heavy, like they've got two strikers and two midfielders that are very good like so at, at the attacking side and then they've got <clears throat> a mismatch of, of kids and uh you know new center backs that have to bed in and whatever so is it time do we have to do we have yeah. to do this now we're on to arsenal, arsenal now arsenal, arsenal are going to finish sixth aren't they <laughs> i still have them as sixth if if united wobble like you don't know if they're going to plummet down to the 10th uh based off of quitting on jose or not and but i don't think that Unlike Abramovich, who who will have an intense staring match with a 
with a coach and not want to pay them off. And we saw that this this summer again with the, the mm. Conte thing. I don't think United do that, partly because they're publicly traded, right? Like that's <laughs> that's not super interesting for them. They they will make the the hook uh, at the point that it, it looks bad. Who who do they get to replace him? I don't know, but like they get to write that off as well. You know, Josie didn't work out, so we need to find a replacement. Um, so Arsenal. All right, let's let's go back a bit. Um, <laughs> Massive sigh. <laughs> it's like you with Spurs, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, not, it's not perfect either way. So we we have a they finished sixth last year and they finished sixth the year before that. So like the, you know we're coming from sixth. This is this is their level at the moment. Um, a whole lot of years of top four, but sixth is their level now. And switch over from from Benger. I questioned this morning, kind of jabbering on Twitter for a bit. Do you think Arsenal really messed up by signing Mkhitaryan instead of Malcolm in January and Socrates instead of a young CB like? Lavard or Diallo. Uh, Soyuncu was also heavily rumored. So, like, I think Arsenal have messed up spectacularly for years in a lot of different ways. Like, their recruitment has been a mess. They never signed the young players they, they needed to bet in to, for the future. Um, yeah, they've done an okay job of producing guys out of the academy. But beyond that, like, what's there? And so do I think Arsenal messed up? Well, let's start with the Arsenal mess-ups just in the last year. Last summer, they had Ozil who they managed to keep on the last year of his contract. And, and you know, that was very clever by his agent. You see Ramsey sort of using the same playbook on that. And then they had the guy named Alexis Sanchez, who allegedly they could have sold between 55 and 60 million. And if you know that you don't really want him anymore, and you know that somebody's going to pay 55 or 60 million for you, like, get rid of him. Like, take the money, reinvest it. It doesn't have to be reinvested even, like, right now. It just needs to be reinvested over the next couple of windows. So, like, that's fairly huge. Arsenal actually have, like, a lot of cash on hand as well. Um... It's not like there there wasn't money. So that's one big mistake. Mkhitaryan at age, what, 28, instead of like re, you know taking whatever and, and and moving Sanchez, like that's a, a huge mistake as well. So like we've got Mkhitaryan here. He's probably pretty good. You've got a swap deal for Alexis Sanchez. I like Mkhitaryan. I don't think that he was in need, though. <laughs> I like yeah. Mkhitaryan, but I, I feel like we haven't seen Mkhitaryan that we like for quite a while now. And... That's playing the Bundesliga last year at Dortmund, and then moved to Manchester United, yeah. and then like two years down the line. So it's been a while. <laughs> um, Malcolm was an option. There were a lot of good options. Uh, you know, I gave a number of options last summer as as potential depth replacements. Like mm. the, the options are there. So Kratos instead of a young centre back like Pavard or Diallo. Oh hell yes. Now the word is, and these almost are never wrong, is that Pavard's going to move to Bayern. Um, when his his uh, transfer clause comes up, so like he's got a transfer clause that comes up next summer, like this almost always happens. When it's it's kind of amazing how clued in this is, and then people deny it, and it goes quiet for six months, and then finally you know, he next gets announced. Year, allowed, he gets announced. <laughs> it's just that's that's how it works. So like pretty sure that Pavard is is going to go to to Bayern, but he would have been a great choice. We found Pavard. Uh, in one of our projects, and we'll talk a little more about this, um, I think, in early September. But we found him and, and produced a report that he was like a top-tier talent that was that was ready to move to the Premier League this summer. Um, and we did it the day before uh, he got called up to the French national team. So that would have been in last autumn. Um, so we really like Pavard. So yes, should Arsenal have done something like that? Almost certainly. Now, I do understand a little bit of them saying... You know, we have a lot of youth in our center back ranks, but like you know, there were center backs out there that they could get for 20, 30 million that or, or 40 million, whatever you need to pay, actually, that look like top tier talents for the future. Um, you know, holding they don't know about Callum Chambers. They don't know about like one of the reasons you don't know about Arsenal. And we're still ranting. I'm sorry. We're going on a little <laughs> long. One of the reasons you don't know about Arsenal defenders is because of the systemic problems. Like, you don't know if any of them are good because you don't know how they'll actually be under a coach that coaches defense. Like, they have not been rigorous defensively. They've not been in a good system before. And so there are a bunch of uncertain question marks. And again, this comes back around to the Wenger era and keeping him too long and how many issues they had in recruitment with this whole period of time. So do I think Arsenal messed up by doing all these things? Almost certainly. And then we come to this summer, which we covered a lot on our podcast uh, on the transfers. Like, Bernd Leno, almost nobody I know is impressed by him. I watched him in person. Um, I watched him closely at Leverkusen over the years. Uh, I know from past coaching staffs, like, they weren't super impressed with him either. So, you know, Arsenal have wound up with him. And now he's not starting. That seems like a bit of a problem. 
we'd like Gendozi, we'd like Torreira. This is finally the stuff that they're supposed to be doing. But Socrates and Leno and you know Licksteiner is the depth signing and he's our asshole now, so great. But like it's it's just messy and and I think Arsenal have been you know making mistakes for a long time and they didn't seem to correct almost any of that this summer despite the fact that that Wenger's gone. Messi's all right, but like it's scrappy, isn't it? You know, you look at their list of signings and it's like, well, I like that one, I don't like that one, that one's okay. It's you know you just can't really get behind the whole project. What's I mean, the goal? What's yeah, the that's a good question. What is the goal? I mean, presumably it's get back in the top four. This year? Um, Why? You finished six two years in a row. Like, you're going to buy old guys. You're going to delay the potential. If the goal is really to build a championship team, which it probably should be, right? Like, that should be the goal. Might like, as well You need be. to spike some talent. And if you want to – that also is the exact same goal for if you want to get in the top four and stay in the top four for a while, which means you need to rebuild the roster to be young, not to be old. So, like, Yeah, no, this is a good point, actually. You're in six. You're – been in six for two years what does it matter if you stay in six for a year if 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 your development looks right if you look like you're building a team rather than you've got some great strikers and great forwards but they're all 29 and you just you've just kicked it down another year and you know are you recouping the money out of these guys somehow yeah i I don't see it right like you're gonna try and get some performance and and maybe get that champions league money but i don't know it's i feel like now the the top tier teams that are not City and and probably United because they could just spend infinite like they need to do a little more like the NBA <clears throat> and they need to build for the future and you need a, a cadre of guys that are really elite that can peak so you need to take a little bit of risk there and you know, they could finish sixth and be young and that would be great because then maybe next year they finish third and are young and maybe the year after that they finish you know second or first and 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 are, are peak and like that's perfect. So Barcelona pays 150 million. This know. is what Tottenham and Liverpool have done, isn't it? Yeah. You know, they they might not have the money of Chelsea. I mean, Liverpool got plenty of money, but you know, they might not have the money of Chelsea or Man City or even Man United. But they've like committed to a project and you know worked it out over multiple transfer windows, over multiple seasons. Even City, when they you know what are City signings in the in Mara's a little bit older, but you know they signed a bunch of players at the, at the right end of the age curve after going about it the yep. wrong way and signing a bunch that were kind of win-now players, you know, three or four years ago. But, you know, even City, who had, like, pretty much shown you how to do it. Ever, there are clubs out there showing you how to do it, Arsenal. Why don't you go and do it? I just, I just hate this perpetual sort of third-to-sixth limbo that they put themselves in. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you're going to finish sixth, finish sixth, but, like, finish it with some hope. Build for the future. Don't don't be old and then well we'll we'll get a real plan next year. <laughs> so are they going to finish sixth? Is that what I'm looking at? Probably fifth or sixth. Because we don't know about United. <laughs> anything, anything could happen. Yeah. <laughs> right. We've done the top six. That's good. So, so we I I have Spurs fourth ish, <laughs> and and you have them third ish, and we have United. 5.5 and Arsenal 5.75 I guess. Yeah, I've I've yeah, as as time's gone on the more I've thought and had to like consider this league the more high on Chelsea I am. But yeah, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. High on Chelsea. That sounds mm-hmm. like a good night out. <laughs> Expensive night out maybe, but anyway. <laughs> so, we have an option here. We, we the path is going to lead us one of two directions. One is we talk about the bottom of the table. And we switch on to say who's going to get relegated, which is incredibly hard. Cardiff. Or we can – okay, that one's good. <laughs> uh, or we can talk about the seventhest of seventh teams ever. We can do we can do either. Um, we'll get we'll get to both, even if even if we have to rattle through it a bit. I uh, defer to you, good sir. You deferred to me last time around. Let's go to the seventh bit because um, I have fewer notes on that. <laughs> okay, go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, Everton finished seventh, don't they? Because they always finish seventh, um, mm. except for last season. Right, Burnley. Will Burnley finish seventh again? No, they could <laughs> conceivably, they could conceivably finish in the top ten again, though, if they just kind of did similar. And um, how long is this European run going to last? That's a good question, right? Yeah, they accidentally got through last night, didn't they? So that's that's, that's an issue. I imagine the extra training this morning off the back of failing to get knocked out of that, but not um, not super deep. And small club, um, we've seen this with Stoke before, where they they spiked the European berth and then finished like what 13th or something like that. Mm. So it is a concern. Um, you know, Sean Dyche deserves 
actually a lot of credit, as, as grudging as, as we need to give it. Um, they look like they were actually in our updated um, SB data numbers on the updated model that includes defensive pressure and goalkeepers. They were actually, you know, a valid choice to be in that sort of seventh to tenth range. Hmm. Um, so, you know, like we think that they're legit in that that period you know how much europe will affect them i think it'll be significant if they get into the group stages uh, but yeah. we don't think that don't think it's seventh fair enough no they'd be remarkable if they did once more kind of hit that level again but it's probably up for grabs isn't it they could end up anywhere Burnley. um but i'd air slightly positively towards them if i had to everton we talked oh, about all the transfers you changed your tone on this well, you new, have to, new information you? updated models this <laughs> is true you can't be you can't be dogmatic in this game <laughs> it's, uh, you, you do have to admit defeat sometimes is he a warlock <laughs> probably yeah that could be it. <laughs> he's got, got into my soul and changed me um, so seventh i think has four candidates should we talk about the the primary four Go on, and who are your four four candidates? Everton. Yeah. Leicester. Yeah. Wolves. Yeah. Fulham. Right. Now, not, two not of those Palace. are promoted teams. I don't think Palace get there. I think Palace just don't have the depth to to make that that longer run. I wouldn't <clears> say, uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Just quick cast my over league. I wouldn't fancy anyone else to get in there for various reasons that we probably discussed in relation to the. Um, Fighting Eddie Howes. Nah, not for me. <laughs> no, defense is crap. Still. Okay, sure. Um, so, of those four, let's let's narrow it down. Like, who do you have leans on? Who's finishing at the top of that lot? Or, or who do you just want to exclude? Like, no, nah, I think that's unlikely. <clears throat> hmm. Mm. I think. Eh, I can't remember which one of Fulham or Wolves I was less less in intrigued. I think Wolves don't have the depth to to go like deep and challenge late so they the, to me Wolves' ceiling is probably 10th and that would probably be really good but I, you know that, that, that's that's not a hard and fast principle behind it but possibly the same with Fulham I don't know everyone seems to think they're going to you know they've spent money they've got good players both these teams and they're going to like hit the Premier League hard and go zooming up the table and outside the top 6 there is a huge opportunity for anyone to get their shit together and just uh, be the seventh best team. I don't know. It's still it's still not easy to come up uh, from the championship and you know do anything more than land yourself tenth to thirteenth. You have so, fewer games though, so like that's nice. That's you get a chance to rest. True. Like if you've got a good starting eleven, you probably get a bit more out of them. Um, so I I did a poll on this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Everton, Wolves, and Fulham, and who's going to finish? Uh, top of that lot and 56% actually said either Wolves or Fulham which I thought was intriguing uh, part of that's based on Everton's mess last year I don't think there's a lot of uncertainty about um, Marco Silva <clears throat> you know he had a, a good start with, with Watford before um, Everton have some talent but if I'm looking at the most talented of that group I think that it's Fulham Right. I, I think that Fulham have the most pieces to be able to do it and also only the 38 games um, I so basically I have Fulham and then just like a slight bit ahead of that and then I have uh, Wolves and Everton like basically dead even and and part of that's like the uncertainty but also part of it is like I think Wolves have multiple Champions League talents that they brought in they're young but those guys already ground through the championship for a year so like we'll see what they can do that's hmm. me yeah I know you, so, should go, you should go and look at the markets you might well, look at that I, I used to do that pretty regularly. <laughs> it just looks at him. Fulham at quite a big price, actually. Um, it goes Everton, Wolves, Leicester, and then others. So, uh, yeah. Um, I but so of of that lot, I kind of I have Fulham and, and Leicester at the top of it, and then Everton, Wolves uh, a bit lower. And I'm not impressed by Everton. Like I think that their 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 recruitment was messy this year. Recruitment was actively bad last year. Uh, they got a, a big hole that they got to dig out of. Now they might have a whole lot of Usmanov money that allowed them to do that, and you know, so be it. He's been looking to to be able to fire massive bullets like for ages, and he's kind of stuck in Arsenal. So if he, you know, if he brings the being what like the the tenth richest person in the UK or something like that over to to Everton, you know, they could have some. We could end up with a real you know top seven that that interchanges as opposed to just six. 
Yeah, true. I mean, that's the, I think that's the thing, isn't it? You feel like Everton, Everton organised, say, three years down the line with a strategy, could be like could make that transition to kind of like grab onto the heels of Arsenal and imagine the Liverpool derbies. <laughs> it could be a lot of fun. I think uh, Leicester. Leicester missed an opportunity last year to to really, uh, really kind of like cement themselves as slightly superior to your average seventh to tenth team. I think you know they went through a kind of funny run where they where they you felt like they had opportunities to to exceed Burnley and they just they painfully didn't by the end of it. Um, you wonder if that's partly to do with uh, Puel's kind of style, which is more stoic than thrilling. Kaleci started, by the way. Mm. Yeah. That was like an exciting <laughs> sign. So it, it'd be interesting. nice for him to come good. Sure. Well, I, I was I was kind of looking at that, that sort of like lineup that they played. And, uh, and Chilwell started. He's 21. Uh, Damari Gray started 22. Uh, Harry Maguire, 25. Kaleci, 21. And Didi, 21. Ricardo Pereira, who I thought Spurs should have signed last year. I thought Spurs should have signed this summer. Uh, 24, uh, Amarte, 23, made a mistake. James Madison, 21. Uh, so yeah, if you're looking that's... for a team that is loaded up with lo- young guys and sort of looks like they they have a plan, it feels like Leicester have a plan right now. That's yeah, I haven't really framed it like that. That's that's, that's good to see. You know, even if, they, if it isn't this year, maybe, you know, next year they could be well set. And it's it's been tough for them because it, it's taken them time to transition out of their league winning heroes because. Pretty much anyone out that side had a job for life at Leicester, didn't they? It was like, yeah. you know, it's hard to. You won the league for us, but you're not good for us. You're not good enough for us now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm I'm starting, mate. You know, it's difficult to kind of move beyond such a such a unique experience. And but yeah, they've 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 slowly probably done a fair job of uh, kind of retooling for for a future. And they are they are stable. There's no denying it. They're entirely stable within this within this league now. You know, they're possibly as much as anyone there, you know, reliably the team that's going to be 7th to 10th, you know. So we any we've covered 7th to 10th now. I think we have no choice but to go down to the bottom. Who comes 7th then? Let's no, I'm not going to say this. I I I still think Everton will just because I think I think a little bit more organization. They came 8th with like what was it two months of Cumin falling in a hole, so <laughs> and then and then the most boring ever, Sam Allardyce. <laughs> you know, period. you haven't got to steer much of a path to kind of lift that up one notch. I'm 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 going to stick and and not believe in Everton enough to put them seventh. I I kind of have say Fulham, Leicester, then Everton, Wolves. Okay, and I'm not even sure about Wolves. So right, and what have we got next? The bottom, the bottom. Right now, here's the thing. I mean, I th- the world thinks Cardiff's going to go down, which is yeah. entirely logical. Um, <laughs> Unless Neil Warnock is Sean Dyche in disguise. <laughs> I was looking at um, schedules for a few of the contenders just to get a kind of idea. Um, Cardiff, week five, they play Arsenal. Week six, they play Chelsea. Week seven, they play City. Week nine, they play Tottenham. Week 11, they play Liverpool. Well, that's an easy run. <laughs> And three of those games are away. <laughs> it's like, oh man, you know, not not that these things are you know fixed in in their influence, but you know you you want to get a fast start, you want to get some points on the board. If you're getting you know this uh, towards Christmas and you've just been mercilessly beaten by some of the league's best teams, then it can be quite hard to yoink yourself out of that. So now the good part is that most of those teams will have European ties, so they won't necessarily be, you know, unwinnable. But yeah. So anyway, let's just say we're pretty sure Cardiff are gonna get relegated. Not hundred percent, you know, things happen. Premier League has a lot of variants. Uh, they can stay up. Who are the next two though? This is hard. Yeah. My I mean my my, my list was uh what was it Huddersfield, Brighton. I still think I think people are underrating Watford Watford who just land themselves safe in the first half of the season every year underrating uh, that they'll be good or underrating that they might go down sorry yeah over, underrating that they might be fine you know I, I the, the market seems to think that they're not fine and um, I just got that feeling that they'll probably limp limp to 28 points by January and then win three games for the rest of the season so because that happens every year so, like, the the interesting thing about 
the championship last year is that the three best teams went up. Um, like very clearly in terms of like the gambling models, uh, the three best teams were the ones that got promoted. You know, Villa were probably fourth, uh, but like the way that Fulham ran towards the end of the year, and they've done this twice now. Like I don't know if it's like a physical conditioning program or whatever, but like Djokovic just seems to the second half of the season they crush and they become unstoppable, at least in that league. But in the Premier League, you know, the bottom, the three worst teams didn't really go down. Like West Brom no. weren't that bad. It was just you know they had. They had. <laughs> they just couldn't uh, buy a win, could they? That was well, it was partly that. It felt like they kind of quit on, um, on both parts. Yeah, sure. I mean everybody quits on parts. Um, and Pulis, you know, had that weird thing where he really didn't want to be there. New Chinese owners, etc. But like West Brom probably weren't the worst of of that lot. They finished the worst. Um, Stoke were, but Stoke looked like they were too good. Like I kept saying this, I was wrong. I, I thought their their squad was too good to go down. They went down. Um, and then Swansea were the third of that lot. And th- Swansea felt like a team that needed to be relegated a couple times uh, over the last couple of years. So, like, Swansea made sense. But Stoke and West Brom, eh, and West Brom in particular. Um, so then you look at it, and the teams that, that were above them that managed to stay up, like Southampton on 36, Huddersfield on 37, and, you know, part of that was some, some good results against big teams. Brighton on 40, Watford 41 after the, the era where they just couldn't buy wins uh, when they got rid of Silva. West Ham on 42, Bournemouth on 44, Palace on 44, Newcastle on 44. So, like, it's, it's a fairly tight cluster there. There's seven teams, or seven points, eight points separating 17th from 10th. Of that lot, you know, Huddersfield probably, but, like, Hughes is at Southampton, and, and that Stoke performance came under Hughes. So they're not secure at all. And their recruitment, we looked at it in the in the other pod, and it you know it it isn't like oh yeah they've solidified themselves. So like Huddersfield and Southampton are kind of might be where they deserved last year, and because the good teams for the championship came up, because mostly the bad teams went down, like you know there's a, they need to be worried. Um, what do you think? Mm, yeah, I I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not an answer. Come on. Yeah, Huddersfield definitely are at risk. Uh, Brighton may have made enough signings just to keep them their noses over the over the wire so to speak um and but i think Hutton isn't exactly inspiring as a manager right like so mm. Hutton has had a number of seasons that have been like exactly this um is apparently a great a wonderful guy and, and a great man um but you know he's not like a tactical innovator you don't feel like he's going to drive them up the table at all so they're mostly driven by their team quality and trying to play you know, defensively solid football I'll have a little. I mean, Bournemouth are a team that I think uh, 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 will one day fight for relegation and then have have problems. It might not be this season, and this very small factor. Again, I was looking at schedules again. Like they they haven't got a tough start at all. They only played Chelsea in their first ten games out of the big teams. So, like Bournemouth, have a real opportunity to just put a little bit of distance between themselves and the rest of the league um, early on this season. Um, whereas others like Brighton, I think Brighton have got batches. They've got. Yeah, Brighton and Huddersfield both play like four of the big teams in the first ten. So, you know, for both of them, their points are going to be hardest, hardest to get, at least to start with. And again, it's it's how these things shape up. You know, if you have a bad start, if you get what two wins out of your first ten games and you're at the bottom, you know, these soft factors come in, don't they? You know, they like do motivating your team when you you've failed to motivate your team sure somebody jettisons and... a manager and it makes no difference and you have to try and learn new stuff and you it gets know, mad we, it's we, tricky we can uh, we can speculate a lot but you know the, I think what was it last season yeah you look at this season you think oh these managers these teams and it was uh, what was it it was only one team I think yeah only the promoted teams in the top six were the only teams not to get rid of managers maybe one other team I can't remember who it was but it was a funny thing I spotted halfway oh Sean Dyche of course right every other team ditched a manager at some point and so it's like well that's like I mean it's only half the league but it's all of these teams that are in the mix that you know weren't the promoted teams so so West Ham feels safe though right you feel like that they should be yeah, How about I mean, Newcastle with all the with all the unrest up there. Do you think Newcastle is safe? It's all about whether Benitez stays. If he doesn't, then they were. I think they're at big risk of, <clears throat> like, you know, if for some reason he just hits the wall and thinks I cannot be bothered with this anymore, which isn't impossible. Sure. Then then stabilising Newcastle would not be an enviable task at all, and they could end up right in the mix for sure. 
Um, oh yeah, none of these teams really, from tenth down, uh, is you know unerringly safe this season. Palace. We, we saw them. Oh. Maybe Palace, maybe Palace. I think Palace would be fine because uh, Palace look like okay. the, especially like one. Um, well, actually, for most of the season, like Palace look like probably the the seventh, eighth best team in the league. Like they mm. were really, really good. And the numbers guys were saying this the entire time. Um, yeah. So like there was like a really crazy period of variance at the beginning of the season, and then they performed basically as the numbers expected the rest of the year. And people were like, well, it's all Roy's. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that's the thing. If they'd have just you know, gained normal points during that first six or seven weeks of the season, they'd have been right on the tails of Burnley probably. And you wouldn't even be batting an eyelid. And you'd be probably talking about them as quite a success story. I mean, you know, Roy Roy can deserve a little bit of credit for, for stabilising them and keeping keeping that ship running when it looks as though it's about to go aground. Um, but yeah, I mean... We learned last season, didn't we? Like West Brom, West Brom and Stoke had been stoic and reliable Premier League teams for some seasons. Um, Swansea had had also, but had flirted with relegation. They all went. So, you know, any any teams like someone like Southampton, who obviously hit the you know kind of the bottom of their expectation yet last season. Those are those are the type of seasons that Swansea were having, and then. It finally bit them, and they went down. So yep, <clears throat> yep, yep. All right, so we we gotta we gotta put you on the spot here. I need I need two. Which you only two? want two. You only want two teams. Oh, to go with Cardiff. Well, okay, Cardiff. <laughs> All right, Huddersfield, and I was gonna say Swansea then, but that no, that's not that's not. <laughs> Already happened. <laughs> Swansea at oh, this is uh, no, yeah. So Huddersfield. Cardiff and just for novelty's sake, I'm going to say Bournemouth. Wow, <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> and yourself? Really they, they started out with a three. They started out with a win. Uh, <laughs> they're they're plus two in goal difference. I know. <laughs> uh, so Cardiff, Huddersfield. Sorry, Huddersfield. Uh, and I have Southampton. It's, I, it's the third I one's hard, not, isn't it? I do not believe in Mark Hughes. Like, oh, and I, I could be totally wrong about that. Like, I think Southampton have done a decent job on their plan, and this is a very tough choice. Like, if you if you told me Southampton and Brighton, you know, we're going to be half a point different, uh, I I'd say yeah, sure, I believe that. <laughs> and so, like, you know, you're you're choosing a uh, it's a choice that has almost nothing in it. West Ham started out like a, with a four a four goal loss though. So like our our <laughs> our perception that they're totally safe. Uh, it does mean that they're going to play better than they did against Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is only based on presuming that these players will gel and Pellegrini will be fine. And well, you'd hope he would be. Anyway, well, well seventeenth, uh, the seventeenth of the month, the loans that need to go out of some of these squads are stupefying, or the sales. Like who, who, who somebody behind the scenes got to be like desperately moving players at Everton and West Ham, and yeah. Yeah, especially Everton. My God, have they got some players? They could run a, they start a second team, <laughs> literally entering a league with all the pros they've got. We might have to discount their PL2 performance this year. <laughs> yeah, winning by miles. Right. Anything is, else you're looking forward to this year? Um, what's happening? Spain's starting soon, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, we've we've got some we've got last year's data, haven't we? Now, Woo-hoo, which is fun. So we might have a bit of content on Spain coming up on the site soon. And of course, we'll be collecting. As it goes along, so yeah. Any, I haven't got any other announcements. You, Ted? Uh, no announcements. I think this this season's pretty exciting. I'm obviously looking forward to to seeing what Navigator does in this league. Um, also, Fabinho. I think that was like a good signing for them. Um, you know, the relegation stuff. I think is is actually incredibly exciting. Uh, and it make it it's weird. We talk about like the top teams and they're the most popular. But if you follow the league. Like the fact that there is, it feels like there's a ton of parity towards the bottom half and and even into the the relegation zone, like that that's exciting. And also like those teams can all beat the top teams, like depending on what week it is. So uh, it didn't happen as much last year, but you know, the the top teams are are often vulnerable. Some of them every single year feel like they're they're more vulnerable than they used to be. And remember, it didn't used to be a top six; it used to be a top four. So. It's it's, a, and it's and it's incredibly quick, you know. We we feels so very normal to talk of this big big six in this league, and two seasons ago Leicester beat them all. So yeah, yeah I mean that's the, again like something I said. I don't think I was nearly as contrary as I wanted to be in this podcast, but but you know the idea that um, 
last year's XG table will line up the next year. <laughs> There's way more going on than that, and that's why we all all keep interested. Numbers fans or not, that's why everyone keeps interested in this league because you never know what's coming next. Well, that's us. We two podcasts this week, uh, kind of covered the whole summer. It's going to be a really exciting season. Uh, and if you get bored with the Premier League, the Championship is at least as exciting, if not more so. <laughs> <laughs> okay then, cheerio. Take care.